0: Last week, if you were not here, I would encourage you to get on our YouTube channel and listen to the word that Darren preached. It was a wonderful word about becoming a person of substance from the life of Paul. And I wanted to kind of do some follow-up from that sermon. And so today we're going to be talking about becoming a person of substance. Um, I, As you are taking this note sheet, I... I I had to do notes today because I want you to take the notes and use it for your week of prayer and fasting. I want it to be something that each day you you take those notes and you use it for personal meditation and prayer, okay? And so fasting, although it might be very uncomfortable and it's not our favorite thing to do— I love fasting and talking about fasting because it's such an integral part of our spiritual formation, and I love the topic of spiritual formation, (laughs) and and so I want to, initially you might be like, no way, I'm not fasting, that's not for me, but I want you just to kind of open your mind today a little bit, open your heart to, well, maybe I'll try, okay, Just open up a little bit because it will do things for your spiritual formation like nothing else will. And so um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about this. And I want you to take good notes, write scriptures down that you can later go back and look at. So I want us to start with just a basic, first of all, definition of substance because we hear that yes, I want to be a person of substance. But what is you break that down? What does that actually mean to be a person of substance? I thought these definitions were very interesting, and the first one. I'm going to give you two. The first one is the real physical matter of which a person or thing consists of and which has a tangible, solid presence. So with this definition, the question is, what is the real, tangible, solid presence in my life? That's a good question to ask. To think about what do I subsist of? What It might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing. It's a tangible, solid presence in your life. The second definition of substance is a particular kind of matter with uniform properties. Okay, so let's think about this for a minute. Uniform meaning this, remaining the same in all cases and at all times. Uniform. Another word for that might be integrity. It's an unchanging in form, unchanging in character. It's uniform. That's integrity. If something is without integrity, it means there's something within it that is that brings weakness to it. But something that has integrity, it is uniform throughout the whole thing. It is unchanging. It is all the time the same. That is substance. I don't know about you. I want to be a person of substance. I want to be unchanging at all times. I want the solid, tangible presence of the Lord to be that which is my substance. And so today we're going to walk through some passages that will help us to say, okay, how can I develop this in my life? How can I have the tangible, solid thing in my life be that of God and not that of sub-substances? How can I become a uniform person where we, we sing about that in the high place, in the low place, I'm going to worship you. In the good times, in the bad times, I'm going to worship you. I can sing that on a Sunday morning, but do I walk that out in my day-to-day life when I feel anxiety, when I feel overcome with worry because of my circumstances? Am I still unchanging in my faith, in my belief, in my walk? Okay? So let's start in Matthew twenty-two, or I'm sorry, Matthew twelve twenty-two. Matthew twelve twenty-two. We're going to read a few verses here. No, this is still the introduction. I'll let you know when you get to point one. I can tell you're all on digital devices today. I did not hear any pages flipping. <laughs> Okay, Matthew 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed, and they said, could this be the son of david now when the pharisees heard it you know the religious leaders they said this fellow does not cast out demons except by beelzebub and so if we continue to read on he who is beelzebub the ruler of the demons So the religious leaders are saying that it was by the ruler of the demons that Jesus cast out the demon. There's logic. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Oh, man, there you go. Jesus knows our thoughts. (laughs) I won't even stop there to preach. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus is telling them this doesn't make any sense. Why would he cast out his own demon? The principle here, though, that I want us to get is that a divided house, a divided person cannot stand. Cannot stand. And so when we ask the question, how do we become a person of substance? In order to ask that question to become unchanging in all situations, we've gotta do a heart evaluation. We gotta look inward at this house, my house. This is one of the purposes of a fast, is that there's nothing that will push out what is inside you in a more powerful way than a fast. Suddenly, irritability, suddenly anger issues, suddenly addiction issues, they will rise to the surface in a fast. And so this is why meditation and contemplation and examination is so much a part of our fast experience. Because if there's something in there, that's when it will be exposed. And so today what I want us to do is say, okay, here are... We're going to look at the state of our heart. And as we examine the state of our heart, we're saying, Jesus, in the examination, I want to become a person of substance. Amen? And so, here we go. Number one. Ready, Gary? State of the heart number one. What does your heart consist of? This is my question for me. What does my heart consist? Consist of. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel addresses the house of Israel. And he says this If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you. And prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. That was their enemy. That was 1 Samuel 7, verse 3. And so when we're examining our hearts, what are we doing? We're first turning our heart to the Lord because we need the Holy Spirit to do that examination. And so we're turning our hearts to the Lord, and and then what does it say? Get rid of. This is part of the act of consecration. This is a bit what we're doing in the fasting. We're getting rid of, not, not necessarily just the negative idols here, but we are putting aside food. We're putting aside TV. We're putting aside this activity or that activity. What are we doing? We're turning to the Lord. We're putting things aside. So that we can prepare our hearts for Him. It's the act of consecration, it's the act of examination. It's that, the time and the fasting when we say, What's really in my heart? Because most of the time I'd like to just avoid it. And, and it's why we have trouble with quiet, it's why we like background noise. I was I was driving, I had to do school of the ministry yesterday for the district, and I was driving to Springfield early yesterday morning, and usually I'm listening to different things, and in that moment I'm just like, I need quiet. I just need it to be quiet for a while. Often we're resistant to quiet, because as soon as it gets quiet, we begin to see what's really in our mind, what's really in our hearts. What our thoughts, what's going, what our thoughts are really thinking when they're not distracted by noise. Part of fasting is silencing the voices, so we can find out what we consist of. It's a hard task to embrace. I would say, if we're this point, distraction is a key word here. You got to put aside distraction. In the case here of Israel in First Samuel, they had they had turned their hearts to idols and to other gods, and and we may have idols. Food can be an idol. We talk about addictions, and one of our acceptable addictions within the church seems to be food, <laughs> right? We we were. we're pushing aside the idols, we're pushing aside the distractions so we can discover what our heart consists of. Okay, number two, state of the heart. Where does my heart draw from? Where does my heart draw from? We're going to look here for a moment with the Samaritan woman, and I didn't put down what chapter that was in Matthew, so. The woman at the well. And you've, I've been referring to her a lot lately. But Jesus has come to the, the well, the Samaritan well, and there's a woman there, right? What is it? John 4, he said. And so, Jesus is talking to this woman, And she's amazed because Jesus is asking for water and she's a Samaritan and he should have nothing to do with Samaritans because the Jewish people did not interact with the Samaritans. Jesus says to her, though, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? Actually, I skipped a verse, didn't I? Go back. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water, this well of Jacob, will drink again, will, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Where does my heart draw from? What did this woman say? Are you greater than Jacob, our father? He built this well. Are you greater than him? Listen, the well of Jacob was a man-made well. And you can go and drink of it, and it'll satisfy a thirst. But a couple of hours later, what are you going to need again? Another drink from the well of Jacob. Jacob's well is a man-made well. It's of old traditions, old paradigms. Jesus has come and saying, "No, no, no. I've got a different kind of water for you to draw from." Not just draw from, but to actually put inside of you. Living water. Jesus in Luke chapter 7 Verse 37, because you're taking notes. You all want all of the sources now. (laughs) Luke 7, verses 37 to 39. Jesus makes this beautiful, beautiful invitation. On the last day, the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, I love this, he stood and cried out. He was passionate about this. If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Where does my heart draw from? Jesus gave the invitation to come and drink from him. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What does my heart consist of? What is it drawing from? But this Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, right? Jesus was still on the earth. He had not been glorified and ascended into heaven. He is speaking of the promise of the Holy Spirit to come in the book of Acts. And so here, if you then, okay, so Jesus is saying, I've got a promise of living water for you, which is of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the foundation for Pentecostal churches, right? Without Acts 2, we don't have Pentecostal churches. This is our foundation. The day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly suddenly there came from heaven a sound as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, You all think you're amazed and perplexed when you come into a Pentecostal church? This is the first time ever. They had no concept of this. And so they're looking at each other, amazed and perplexed. What could this mean? Others mocking, here's what they said. Yeah, they've been drinking. They've been drinking from somewhere. They've been drinking. They are full of new wine. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, heed my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. They have been drinking, but they are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day, but this is the fulfillment of Joel, the prophet. It will come in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I find it interesting that in this account, the idea of drinking is used. What are we draw- What is your heart drawing from? Because what you draw from will be what subsides within you. And is that causing you to be a person of substance? Jesus left this earth that the Holy Spirit could come. For you and for me. Now, at the heart of this message here, this verse is what got me going on this I want you to go over to Jeremiah chapter 2 for a moment. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God is bringing a charge against Israel. They had been drawing from the wrong water source. They had experienced, the they knew the goodness of God, and they had turned to foreign idols. And so... God is bringing a charge against Israel. And this is what he says in verse 13 to Israel. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, just the heart of the issue is verse 13. For my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They have forsaken me. That's evil number one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is the same issue that the woman at the well had. She had a well that was man-made by her father, forefather Jacob. In Jeremiah 2, we have the same thing happening. They have begun to create for themselves man made cisterns. And not just any, but these are broken that cannot hold all of their efforts. All of their efforts to create themselves a cistern to hold water that they can drink from ended in broken cisterns. And so these broken cisterns, they're, they're tanks for water, and they're very common in the East. They, their wells can be scarce, and so they, they build these tanks, they dig out these tanks. These tanks, though, cannot hold ever flowing fresh water, they can't supply the way a fountain, a spring, And the truth is, is they cannot even really contain the water that is poured into it. The earth drinks it up. The stonework becomes broken. It cannot hold the water. There are thousands in Galilee, in ancient Galilee, thousands of these cisterns. It's like a honeycomb over there of these cisterns. And this is what Israel spiritually had done. It's like if you have in your backyard a fountain springing up with fresh, life-giving water, and you ignore it and go over to another part of your yard to start digging out something to hold water. That's what This, this is what it was like that Israel was doing. God had given a spring of water, and they had turned away from it to build out their own cisterns. And so spiritually, what is this representing? It's these cisterns are them going to these idols and these other things to try to satisfy them spiritually. God is saying, no, they have forsaken me, the fountain. I wanted to give them life and life abundantly. And they have gone and built cisterns in other, I would, I would call it nowadays, into the systems of this world. And so what do we draw from? Do we draw from God, the living water? Or are we going out? into our jobs, into the entertainment of this world, and are we trying to hewn out cisterns? Do we go to our own religious activities and try to hewn out some cisterns as well? What are we drinking from? We can forsake the living water, and we can run to this world and try to drink our take of it, but I guarantee you, it will not satisfy you. It will leave you thirsty. And not only will it leave you thirsty, but what we know about, unfortunately, many cultures around this world, there are many cultures that have no clean water. Their water is not, it's not that even that it's a coming from, not coming from a spring. It's that it is contaminated, and it is all that they have. And so the cisterns of this world that we try to drink from, it's not just that they won't satisfy, it's that they will poison you. It is contaminated water that will, in in the end, make you sick. And so what what does our heart draw from? Where is our heart drawing? What What are we supping of? What, have we, what are we drinking of? What are we gulping down? State of the heart, number three. Okay, I know that he has living water from me. How do I drink of it? It's not difficult. Number one, you become a Christ follower. In, in Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says this, With joy... You will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. How do we drink? With joy. See, you should all look a little joyful right now, right? That was Isaiah 12, verse 3. With joy, our walk in this spiritual life is not one of begrudging It is one of joy, with joy I drink of the wells of salvation, of the waters of salvation. I will tell you that when I'm worshiping down here, I'm not, to be quite honest, I'm not worshiping to, like, be an example to you. I'm not, I'm not doing that. How I worship here is how I worship when I'm alone and you don't see me. It is because there's joy in my heart that I'm partaking of the waters of salvation that Jesus has given to me with joy. How do I drink of these waters? With joy from the well of salvation. The first step to coming and drinking is that of salvation. I must become a follower of Christ. And second, it is exactly what Jesus said to do there that we read in Luke 7. What did he say? I out of out of his heart flows rivers of living water, and that of which he speaks is the Holy Spirit. How do I drink of these waters? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not just once, be filled again and again. And again, and again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the living water to be drunk. Get a little drunk on the Holy Spirit, right? See, all of you that said amen, I know you've been drunk with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And then three, how do I drink of the living water? Be filled with the word of God. Be filled with the word of God. Nothing will transform your spiritual life like the word of God. And in Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that the word of God is, is it dead and boring? No, it's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God will reveal what your heart consists of. Why is this important? Because John 1. John 1, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light. And who is this word? Jesus. Jesus. Be filled with the word. Psalm 1 lays it out in a beautiful picture. Plant yourself, right? Where do I plant myself? By the streams of living water which is the Word of God. Psalm 1 is a great chapter to memorize if you need something to do while on your fast this week. Plant yourself by the living waters of the Word of God. And, and it says in Psalm 1, if you will do this, if you will plant yourself here, you will not wither. You will not, get, you will not look like my plant that I hate to water because I have to climb up on something and water it. And so every once in a while I look up, I'm like, look at that, it's wilted again. It's a hardy one, it keeps coming back every time I water it. But you won't look like all those houseplants you've neglected if you plant yourself in the waters of the word of God. Jesus is the living word. And so, how do, I, how do I drink? Number three there, how do I drink of living water? You become a Christ follower. You drink of salvation. You be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the word of God. Okay, see so you're getting a whole lot today because you've got a whole week to feast upon the word of the Lord this week. So I want to give you a lot to feast upon. Four, number four, state of the heart. Am I single-minded and single-hearted? Because if I'm going to be a person of substance, I have to be single-minded and single-hearted. Do you remember that definition of substance? It's that there, there is no, it is the same always. And so it doesn't leave room to be one way here and one way here. And so being single-minded and single-hearted, James gives this command regarding faith, but let him ask in faith and not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed. He is the double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's no, no greater instability than being double-minded, It goes back to Matthew when Jesus said a house divided will fall. This is what he was talking about. You have to be single-minded and single-hearted. One of my very favorite life passages, somebody should just record how many times I say that and write them down for me. (laughs) This one really is, though. I pray this one often, unlike all the other times I've said that. Psalm 8611, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. That word that was spoken today. Give me an undivided heart. I pray this all the time. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. A person of substance is the person that has an undivided heart. I'll, I'll sum it up for you with an African proverb. Are you ready? It's very profound. So you better get your pens out. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. There you go. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. He did not. No, I came up with that on my own. But the fact that you're associating it with Darren makes me wonder why I said it. (laughs) I know, now you're all going to go tattle on me to Darren. There are a lot of things in this world that call to us. There's a lot of cisterns that will try to lure you. They're like the sirens in ancient mythology of the sea that would try to lure the sailors to their death. They had this beautiful song that they would sing. They were sirens and "um," And they were really drawing them to their death. That is the, the song of the world. And it will call to you all the time. Because you have an enemy that wants you to be divided. The most, the most worrisome people to the enemy is the, the people that walk with undivided hearts. That make no room for the enemy or for the things of the world. But are say, I'm solely fixed on Christ. My eyes are on him and I am following him wholeheartedly. And so I'm gonna ask if the worship team will come for a few moments. <clears throat> this time of a fast is a time of drawing away from the cisterns of the world, good or bad. Just because it's a cistern of the world doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. There are but the the, the point of the fast is to draw away from the cisterns of the world, and to draw from the waters of the Holy Spirit. And so, this is a morning of consecration, which if you got your prayer guide for this week, you'll see that today is the day of cleansing and consecration. It's the day, what we we read earlier from Samuel, of turning our hearts to the Lord. And putting aside all of the other to prepare for him. And I believe, see, we have wonderful times of encounters here with one another. And they are good and they are transformational. And I'm not belittling them, but I'm saying that can't be enough. What excites me as a pastor more than any other thing is when you all come to me and talk about your God encounters at home, outside of the church. Then I'm like, okay, that's a, they're really following Jesus. That gets me excited more than any other thing. And I believe that this week in your times of fasting and prayer, that God is going to meet you in unique ways that he has never met you before. Because the person that puts aside things and turns towards the Lord gets the attention of the Lord, right? There's nothing that gets my attention from Darren more than when he has put aside his phone and his his paddling planning and gives me attention. That gets me more than anything else, right? What has he done? He's put aside something and turned toward me. And there's nothing that will grab the Lord's attention in your life more than when you set aside things and say I'm turning toward you, Lord. I'm turning toward you. And this week, my prayer for you is that as you are consecrating, as you are as you are looking at the state of your heart, and you're you're digging in with the Holy Spirit and you're evaluating how can I become a greater person of presence? The Holy Spirit's going to meet you. He's going to meet you. And so this morning what I want us to do for a few moments here, see there's no rushing off to lunch today. So you got nowhere to like, I know your stomachs are growling and usually you'll be like, yeah I need to get to lunch but you don't need to get to lunch today. So I want us to take a few moments, and I want us to consecrate this week. I want us to consecrate the next four days. It's a very little bit of time to consecrate and set apart for the Lord for the coming year. But I believe that as we do it, it'll transform your year. And so we're all going to have a few moments of worship and consecrate our hearts to the Lord this week but I want this to also be a time as we all are standing and worshiping that if you are saying I have never truly become a follower of Christ I really truly have never drank with joy of the waters of salvation I don't want you to leave this place without that opportunity And so as we worship, if that is you and you want somebody to pray with you, you can just come right up here and we'll pray with you. The second thing is, if you are saying, I want to drink of the waters of the Holy Spirit and I have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we want you to have opportunity as well today to experience that. And there's nothing our elders love to do more than to pray with people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I know that Kathy will lay aside that little baby for a little bit and join with you in believing for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, it takes a movement. We have to choose to consecrate. We have to choose to put things aside. We have to choose to drink. You can lead a horse to water, can't you? But you can't make him drink. And so we can lead you there, but you got to do the drinking for yourself. I can't drink for you. Our elders can't drink for you. The worship team can't worship for you. You've got to do it. Amen? And so why don't you stand with me here at the end, and we're going to consecrate this time. And if you want prayer, The elders are going to meet you down here, and we're going to pray for you this morning.